2024 recruiting has been slow for the Longhorns. How slow? Is it too slow? We discuss. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we're discussing the 2024 recruiting class up until this point. Has it been too slow for Sark and company? Then we're talking about the Texas baseball team. They swept the Coral Gables Regional. will face off against Stanford in the Supers this weekend. And last but not least, Rodney Terry and his staff have identified a new strength and conditioning coach. We talk about all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are still on a quest to get to 3,000 YouTube subscribers. If you have not subscribed yet, please do so. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on audio, please go over to YouTube and throw me a subscription. Uh, Thankful for it all. Thankful for the support for sure. All day, every day. Now, the 2024 recruiting class has been a little slow based on the standard that Steve Sarkeesian has set the last few years at the University of Texas. And I've seen a debate on both sides on Twitter, right? That's where I get, I guess, my content ideas from, from Twitter. But I've seen people say that, you know, we should give Steve Sarkeesian the benefit of the doubt, right? It's also still early in the recruiting cycle. We have some big recruiting weekends coming up at the 40 Acres. By the end of July, maybe August, towards the start of the season, this recruiting class will look a lot different than it does right now. Currently, with only three commits as the number 67 class in the country for 2024. You also have other people saying, look, we brought in back-to-back top five classes. It's the University of Texas. We're headed to the SEC. If we want to compete at a high level every year in college football, we need to keep stacking up these top five classes. So why does Texas, a team that's poised to have a really big year, not have a ton of momentum right now in recruiting? I can see both sides of that argument, and I think there's some truth to both sides of that argument. But I think when you look at it right now, recruiting out of high school is as less important as it has ever been right because of the transport portal and we've seen steve sarkeesian and staff have done a really good job in terms of fortifying this roster through the transport portal now of course your high school recruiting classes matter a ton and they're the foundation of your football team right year in and year out but now you have the ability to go in and supplement your roster or supplement your recruiting class with ready-made players from the transfer portal and that's what steve sarkeesian has done an amazing job of bringing in players like ryan watts isaiah nayor uh quinn ewers right trill carter jalen catalan gavin holmes just to name a few players that can come in and contribute right away for this Texas football team while your players in your recruiting class are maybe taking a little more time to develop. So I think you can make the argument on both sides that, yes, the recruiting is pretty slow right now based on what we've seen the past few years. But also we should give Steve Sarkeesian the benefit of the doubt based on what this recruiting class will look like when it's all said and done and what he'll be able to do in the transfer portal to supplement any holes that are in this recruiting class. So if you want to compare 2024, like I said, right now, it's the number 67 class with only three commits to where we were in the 2023 class this time last year, 
on June 6th, we had five commits, right, compared to three right now. We had Jamel Johnson, who eventually flipped to TCU. We had Dylan Spencer, who eventually flipped to Texas Tech. We had Ryan Niblett, Trey Wisner, and Samaj Burrell. So obviously we didn't have a full recruiting class, but it was a little more stacked than it is right now. Now, what changed was the heavy momentum that came in June. And by the end of June, we finished with 17 commits and we're pretty much largely almost done with our recruiting class. I don't anticipate Texas, even with some big recruiting weekends coming up this month, getting 14 more commits by the end of the month. You also had the benefit of bringing in maybe the most hyped college football recruit ever in Arch Manning, which started a domino effect of other players wanting to come to the University of Texas and play with Arch, right? We already have our quarterback in Trey Owens in this class, but he's not Arch Manning, right? Not in terms of talent and not in terms of hype. So who will be the big prospect or who will be the big commit that starts the domino effect of players from this 2024 class committing to the University of Texas? That remains to be seen because like I said, you don't have the knight in shining armor in Arch Manning who's going to commit in the middle of June and leave you with 17 commits by the end of the month, right? I think right now with the three we have, we'd be lucky to get to 12 or 13 by the end of the month. So when you look at the 2024 class and what we have currently, we have Hunter Modden, 90th overall player in the class, according to 24-7 Sports Composite. He is an athlete, probably will play wide receiver at the University of Texas. Sark has identified his quarterback for this class, Trey Owens, 449th overall. Really good recruiter for the Longhorns as well on Twitter. Uh, Three-star quarterback. I expect him to be a big riser this year, his senior year. And then Michael Kern, a punter. That is all you have for your 2024 class right now. So who are the big dogs in this class or who are the big players that could maybe start that snowball effect that we saw last year where we kind of dominated recruiting in the summer after Arch Manning committed to the 40 acres. Well, it starts with Colin Simmons, fourth overall in the 24-7 sports composite, number one edge player uh, in the country, number one player in the state of Texas, I believe from Duncanville High School. Feels like a Texas or LSU battle, and that would be a huge get for Texas, would probably be one of the most talented edge prospects we've had at Texas over the last decade, and keeping him in the state of Texas goes a long way in terms of recruiting moving forward. Micah Hudson, seventh overall player in the class, number two wide receiver, feels like a Texas Tech or a Texas battle. You would think that he would want to come to Texas based on Sark's offense, but Texas Tech is putting in overtime in this one. I would not be surprised either way. Kobe Black out of Waco, 23rd overall, the number three corner in the class. Texas seems to be the favorite. That would be a get, that would be a huge get in terms of the defensive backfield. Dominique McKinley out of Louisiana, the 29th overall prospect in the class, the fifth-ranked D lineman. He will be visiting Texas this month on the 23rd. And then Jarrett Gibson, the number two running back in the country, 35th overall, currently 100% crystal balled to Texas. So I think if you can get two to three of these players to commit in the month of June, then you can start to see a snowball effect. Maybe not the effect that we saw last year, but you'll start to see this Texas recruiting class move up pretty fast. And we know at the end of the day, regardless uh, what they get, this will be at least a top 15 class. It's the University of Texas. It's Steve Sarkeesian. They have built this roster. They have built up this program. And they look like they're on the verge of success. So they will be a really good recruiting class at the end of the year. But the question is, how good? Will it be top 15? Will it be top 10? Or will it be top five? And will that affect them in the future? Because like I said, when you look at the top programs in the sport in Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama, they're bringing in top five classes every year. And I think if Texas wants to compete at that level every year in the SEC, regardless of what you bring in in the transfer portal, you still need to bring in these top five type recruiting classes on a yearly basis. So 
it hasn't started off strong for the Texas Longhorns in terms of their 2024 recruiting class, but I have all the faith in the world and Steve Sarkeesian and this staff that they will finish strong. And at the end of the day, this will be one of the best classes in college football headed to the 40 acres next year. A quick word from our sponsors. And they were talking about our baseball team who went on the road to Miami and swept the Coral Gables regional. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. There's no better place to bet all of the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the National Basketball Association. I want to give a quick shout out to our graphics team. If you're watching on YouTube, you see these new graphics. Y'all let me know in the comments if I need to make that font a little bit bigger on today's show where it has the topics. I can do that. I'm still playing around with it a little bit, but shout out Locked On, man, for the great graphics, making me a little bit cuter on the show, man. That's, that's always been my goal. But we're talking about the Texas baseball team and what a hell of a weekend for a team that did not come into the regionals with a lot of momentum, right? We thought Texas had a really good chance to host their own regional and based on their performance in the big 12 tournament, that was not going to happen when you went in and lost your first two games, right? You didn't even win a game in the tournament. Texas went to 0 and five this year at globe life field. But as soon as they got away from globe life field, they got back to being the Texas baseball team that we know and love once again, sweeping the Coral Gables regional setting up a great matchup this weekend against Stanford. It started on Friday when they beat Louisiana four to two. Then on Saturday, they came back and beat Miami four to one and they beat Miami again on Sunday in Miami 10 to 6 to clinch the Coral Gables Regional. And some moments I loved for this weekend from the Texas baseball team. There were a lot of them. It starts with in the Louisiana game, Eric Kennedy robbing a three run homer. I believe the score was 0 0 at that point. He robs a three run homer. We end up winning 4 to 1. Huge play from Eric Kennedy. Probably was not even the best defensive play in the game. We've all seen at this point Dylan Campbell going Spider Man with that crazy diving catch, one of the best catches. I've seen in major league or college baseball this year, Dylan Campbell is just a hell of a player at the 40 acres. Of course, Lucas Gordon, Luke G, as I like to call him, going seven deep for us with eight Ks. That was huge based on the struggles we had with our bullpen and losing three bullpen players prior to, uh, you know, the tournament and the regionals. And then uh, so going seven deep for us with eight Ks in that game going deep, not having to use too much of the bullpen and then winning that game four to one. Then you come back the next game and LBJ is starting, right? And LBJ got out of two bases loaded jams twice in the first two innings, right? Where it looked like it was going to be a hellacious start and Miami was going to put it on them. They loaded the bases in the first and the second inning. He was able to get out of that and then finished a complete game only through 84 pitches over his last seven innings. That's only 12 pitches per inning over a hundred pitches and only allowed one run. We needed a complete game. The first complete game at the 40 acres in the NCAA tournament since 2014. So LBJ definitely put his name in the history books at the 40 acres, just a dominant performance. And, you know, I saw some people complaining about the hundred pitches, you know, I know that is a lot, but you know, you spend the regular season kind of, progressing your pitchers along right you know and you use analytics to see when you should take them out when they're most effective you know third time through the order after a certain pitch count etc cetera, etc cetera. when you get to the postseason you kind of throw that out the window and you just let your arms 
go out there and do what they do. Right. And so I think all of our pitchers could go 120 pitches if need be. But you don't stress them like that during the regular season because you're trying to get to postseason play. Now you're in postseason play. And if you need to use an arm and he feels comfortable for 115, 120 pitches, that's just what you need to do. And obviously, David Pierce was comfortable that LBJ could do it. He went out there and did it. And I think that was great for our bullpen. You come back the next day after going down 3-0, things looked a little bit shaky for Tanner Witt to start, right? And it looked like you may be in a position to have to decide if you wanted to go all in in terms of winning that game or, you know, kind of save your arms for a decisive game seven on Monday. Well, the offense made that a mute point, right? In the top of the third, they came out and scored nine runs, chased their starter and, you know, had the lead for the rest of the game for good, ended up winning that game. 10 to 6 on Sunday. So to be able to sweep the Coral Gables Regional coming off two straight losses in the Big 12 tournament, uh, coming off a situation where you could have hosted a regional and kind of forfeited that away with your own play. It was great to see them, you know, show that Texas fight and come back uh, in the Coral Gables Regional where, like I said, you had two hitters who were dealing with really big back problems. Uh, Garrett Gilliamette got almost hit in the face with a baseball. He was able to continue to play, you know, thankfully. And you had three bullpen arms that were unavailable, either via the transfer portal or injury. So with all of that happening, you felt like this may be a Texas baseball team that didn't reach their full ceiling or was unable to get past the regionals or super regional. And now they look like one of the hottest and best baseball teams in the country. And it sets up for a really interesting matchup with Stanford. I believe the only two teams that have advanced to the College World Series the last two years. And it's going to be at Stanford because Texas A&M couldn't take care of business. We saw that this year in the NCAA tournament in basketball, where we were one game away from playing Texas A&M. They lost to Penn State. We were one game away from playing Texas A&M and they lost to Stanford. So Aggie really doesn't want to play us <laughs> at all. But it's going to be an exciting matchup against Stanford on the road in California this weekend. And I'm predicting that the Longhorns will make the NCAA tournament again, excuse me, the College World Series again after they beat Stanford in the Supers. But I think what's going to be important is the first two games. And you remember last year, Texas put a lot of pressure on themselves because they lost the first game to East Carolina. And then the second game, they were down and had to come back and win that game before blowing them out in game three. We don't know what we have in Tanner Witt right now, right? I don't know if Tanner Witt is a sure thing. Right now, I think he can go out and definitely be better than he was in his last outing. But you don't know how long he can go, how good his stuff is going to be, how confident he is in his stuff and how many pitches he can throw for the Texas baseball team. If it comes down to a decisive game three and you have to go out there and start Tanner Witt based on what we saw on Sunday, that might not be your best option. I do have all the faith in the world in Luke G, Lucas Gordon right now. I do have all the faith in the world in LBJ right now. I think it would be imperative if Texas can, right? It's going to be hard. Stanford is a really good baseball team to go out there and win the first two games of the Stanford Super Regional because if it comes down to a game three and you have to throw Tanner Witt out there, I'm not sure if that's advantage Texas as crazy as that sounds. So huge credit to the Texas baseball team for sweeping the Coral Gables Regional. Huge credit to them for making the Super Regionals once again, and I'm predicting they will make the College World Series after they beat Stanford this weekend in California. A quick word from our sponsors, and I want to talk about quickly Rodney Terry adding a number, another member to his staff. So really quickly, Texas basketball has their strength and conditioning coach. We know that we lost uh, John Riley, who was one of the most renowned strength and conditioning coaches in college basketball. He spent uh, however much time he did at Texas Tech with Chris Beard. And obviously they won a lot, making it all the way to the national championship game against Virginia. And then he was at the University of Texas and enjoyed success under Rodney Terry and Chris Beard. But he has moved on 
from the program and we needed to identify a new strength and conditioning coach. And that has happened. We are hiring Corey Schlesinger as the strength and conditioning coach at the 40 acres. And I can't sit here on the podcast and act like I know what this means for the university of Texas, right? How, you know, impactful he will be as a strength and conditioning coach. But I do know that John Riley was really good for us. And when I look at it last year, not that this is the only thing that they do, but we pretty much were scot-free in terms of injuries last year, right? You had the Timmy Allen injury in the Big 12 tournament, but they said if it was the NCAA tournament, he probably would have played. It was probably precautious. And then you had the injuries the last two games to Dylan DeSue where he didn't play, but Dylan DeSue came into the 40 acres with injury history to his lower extremity. So I don't think that's something you can put on John Riley. So if anything, I think that Corey Schlesinger comes in and you want him to be able to maintain that, right? This Texas basketball team for the last two years has stayed really healthy for the most part. Can you continue that at the 40 acres in your tenure? He has experienced most recently with the Phoenix Suns at Santa Clara at UAB and at Stanford, where he worked with the basketball team and also the 2019 national championship winning men's golf team as well. So Corey Schlesinger has a lot of experience at D1 basketball and with the Phoenix Suns at the NBA level. A huge get from Rodney Terry and his staff coming over to the 40 Acres to be our new strength and conditioning coach. And what I love is this is the only position that we've had to replace thus far, right? You thought that if you made Rodney Terry the full-time head coach that maybe some other members of the staff would leave. There were even some rumors that maybe some of, uh, some of the other staff members might head to Ole Miss, right, for – the opportunity to work with Chris Beard again. We only had one coach leave, and that was our strength and conditioning coach. Every other coach stayed on this staff with Ronnie Terry. That tells me they have the utmost respect for that man, and they want to stay with him, and they believe what he's building at the 40 Acres, and so do I. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace.